This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Carl Bildt. Carl Bildt is a former Prime Minister of Sweden. Carl, it's almost a year now since the United Kingdom voted to withdraw from the European Union. Obviously, a lot of debate, and since then has been dominated as only very much a UK debate about the future of the United Kingdom in a post-Brexit world. And more recently, we've had the first official negotiations UK, EU27, it seems to me that a large part of the debate has been missing, which is the impact of the departure of the UK on the rest of the European Union. And although Sweden has historically been a great ally and, and of the United Kingdom, I want to first of all talk about the, the, the negative influence, if you like, of the United Kingdom uh, in the EU historically. In other words, with the departure of the UK, what can the, the EU now benefit from? How can it now make progress in a way it could not do with the UK as a full member? Well, I think, I mean, to start with that, obvious, I think overall the impact of the UK inside the European Union has been overwhelmingly positive in quite a number of different areas. But if, if you ask me to specify areas where I've seen the UK sort of blocking progress, uh, there's been an element of that in common foreign and security policy. Obviously, we have a lot of discussion on defence cooperation at the moment. And uh, the, the UK has been blocking because of uh, fears that I think have been overblown. Uh, sometimes in the fields of common foreign policy, uh, the UK has also been less eager for uh, the EU or for United Europe to move forward on those particular issues. So given other circumstances, uh, if they are positive, I think these are areas where you will see, hopefully, uh, the EU move somewhat faster now without the, uh, without the UK. And does that, does that translate into a, a widespread view across the E27 that in, in some ways actually the departure of the UK is a good thing, a positive thing for the European Union? On the defence side, I mean, the people that are primarily concerned with developing the defence cooperation or security policy cooperation inside the EU, yes, they would see the departure of the UK as something positive. Um, but, I mean, they would overall see it as negative anyhow. But, but, but here would, they would see a plus. And accordingly, you have seen uh, an acceleration of so far discussions on these issues quite substantially during the last few months and I think we'll see more momentum coming out of the French and the Germans now with the French elections out of the way, the German elections coming in September. Uh, that would not have been possible uh, with the uh, UK's uh, full participant around the table. The UK is still there but, but, but right. uh, slightly a shadow Dis of itself. Disengaged, okay. Yeah. Well, as you know, the, in, in many quarters, the United Kingdom is seen, has, has been seen historically as a very reluctant member, an awkward member of the European Union. Uh, is that a, a fair narrative from your point of view? It's a fair narrative from the, if, if you look at the UK debate, absolutely. Uh, the UK debate has been, in my opinion, fairly distorted. Uh, but from my point of view, I've been sort of sitting in... I think 130 different Council of Ministers and Council <laughs> meetings over the years, uh, which is quite a lot. I always saw the UK as a very active participant. Um, every EU country is active on some issues uh, and significant on some issues. There are rather few that are active and constructive players on virtually everything, and the UK has been a very active player uh, across the board. Um, that has not been reflected in the public debate very much, but, but, but uh, in the closed rooms, yes. Well, could you give an example where you think the United Kingdom has been a particularly uh, uh, played a constructive role in, in, the, in the European project, as it's called? Well, I mean, if, if, if you look at sort of issues that have been close to me, say enlargement, right. uh, no question that uh, the UK has been one of the more active countries. 
If you take the single market issues in general terms, if you take trade policy, no question about that. Uh, moving forward, I think Global Europe was launched by a UK trade commissioner uh, some years ago. Um, so those areas clearly. I think also, I, I said on foreign and security affairs, sometimes the UK has been reluctant, but of course the UK has been contributing with its, uh, its very considerable diplomatic expertise uh, to the development that we've seen of a common foreign, security, foreign, foreign policy. So there are quite a number of areas, and I'm quite certain there are others that I'm not fully aware of. Well, let me press you a bit on enlargement. As you know, many critics of the United Kingdom, uh, that, well, as cynically you may argue, feel that um, the United Kingdom's championing not only the only member state, but uh, you know, clearly a champion of enlargement, was done for, for nefarious purposes, to, to weaken the European Union. To what extent is that a, a valid criticism? That might well have been those in the UK who had that particular motive. Um, that is not to be excluded. Uh, but I think if you, if you look back on the, sort of the track record of a number of decades, it hasn't worked like that. Every single enlargement has led to deepening of integration because the larger the union becomes, uh, the more obvious is it that you need sort of more integration and stronger institutions. Um, so the those that have uh, because the mirror of what you're saying is that a lot of people have been sort of been against, or some people at least have been against enlargement because they feel it would dilute the entire thing. That has not been the track record, and it's also the fact that if if you look at the new members waves of new members coming in, they have normally been more in favour of integration than some of the old members. We should not forget that the, the, the most ambitious project at integration, uh, the Constitutional Treaty, was shot down by the French and the Dutch, right. not by the Poles or the Swedes or the uh, <laughs> Portuguese, yeah. or not even by the UK. So. Not even by the UK, it's true. Yeah. Well, then let's assume for the sake of the, this podcast, Carl, that the United Kingdom will exit the, uh, the European Union sometime maybe in the next two years. What will the, what will the European Union look like without the, the United Kingdom as a full member? It will be, uh, it will be weaker, no question about that. Uh, it's a significant country that is leaving with significant assets that it brings to the table, so that is going to be a disadvantage. It might well be that it has acquired new momentum in a number of different issues that remains to be seen. Defence, to take that example, that is very much in there at the moment after the French and German initiatives. Uh, then it's going to be dependent upon how the sort of constellation of forces align themselves. Uh, uh, the French new coalitions of member states. Yeah, you know. I mean the French, the French German motor is very much talked about at the moment. Um, that's of course a good thing, but it must not be allowed to be too dominant. Right. And I think there would be a new need for new constellations. I, I saw there was a meeting as of yesterday, prior to the European Council meeting now, uh, between the Nordics, the Visegrad countries, and the Dutch and the Baltics, and that's mm. something new. That's a constellation that I wouldn't exclude that we will see more of. We'll see where the southern Europeans are going to be. Are the Spaniards going to be somewhat more active when they have come out of their economic crisis? Uh, remains to be seen. Where are the Italians going to be? So it's going to be, it's going to be different, um, remains to be seen exactly how. There have been a number of pronouncements recently by, by senior European uh, politicians such as Mr. Schäuble in Germany and, and Mr. Macron this week and even I think even more recently uh, Mr. Tusk, President of the European Council, to the effect that when asked specifically it doesn't seem likely at the moment but that we, we leave the door open, us EU27, 
to a possible, uh, you know, a change of heart, as it were, of the United Kingdom. Mm. Is that, the, from your point of view, a likely perspective or not, a change of heart by the UK? I think it's highly likely whether it's going to happen in our lifetime. Uh, <laughs> is, I think, is somewhat more uh, open question. Um, when I look at the UK political scene, I see the Conservative Party transforming themselves from a party that has been basically in favour of membership of the European Union for a generation into a Brexit party uh, mm. divided between sort of hard Brexit and extremely hard Brexit people. Um, and uh, where the Labour Party is, I'm not quite certain they do themselves sometimes on these particular issues, but uh, it would require the emergence of a strong pro-European force on the UK political scene. And do you need a new political party or I haven't or a clue, else? or transformation of the existing parties, but um, that remains, I mean, I, I, I fail to see that on the horizon, and accordingly I think this is going to take, the, the reality of being outside has to sink in uh, for quite some time. When that has happened, and assuming that the EU goes forward, which I believe that at some point in time, I would hope that would be a change, but I feel it's going to take uh, far too long for my taste. Okay, one last question, uh, Carl. I mean, you talked about the Franco-German axis, and everybody's now waiting for that to, sort of to, to see what kind of shape that's going to take in the next few months, we said. One of the sort of side effects, of course, we can call it a side effect of the Brexit a decision is it, it's, it, it's taking up a huge amount of energy and resources of the European Union as a whole to mm. deal with the, the mm. Brexit negotiation, Article 50. But at the same time, there has to be obviously there's ongoing work of the, of the European mm. Union and also a, a debate or even an interest to be taken on a reform of the European Union, certainly area maybe a free movement and you know just making Europe grow again. To what extent do you see scope for uh, not just a UK-centric, if you like, reformed uh, debate taking place within the Article 50 context, but actually a Europe-wide debate about the, the need for Europe to be more to be more effective, should we say? I think if that's going to come, which I think it will, I think it's going to come after the exit. Um, I think there will be now a preoccupation with first the details of the divorce, and that might well be fairly contentious. Uh, you never know. I mean, there might be crisis over that, which is going to take a lot of the political oxygen out of there. Uh, then there's going to be concentration on the kind of partnership that uh, we must seek to develop between the EU and the UK. And, uh, and that's very important to get the details of that right. When that is done, or perhaps in parallel with that, yes, I think there will be discussion on uh, whether we can develop, reform, change the institution, the structures. I don't think there will be revolution, uh, but I think there will be evolution, yeah. Okay, we have to leave it there, Carl Bill. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.